What's up, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us. First, let me begin with a shout out to our community there in San Jose at our San Jose campus. Make some noise in the San Jose campus. Hey, guys, while Pastor Tilden was preaching for us last weekend and what a fabulous message he brought. I got to hang out in our San Jose campus. What an amazing, amazing uh, community that is developing right there in our San Jose. All of you guys are fabulous. If you live in the South Bay area here in the Silicon Valley, I want you to check out our San Jose campus. It is phenomenal. Now, some people say, well, Pastor Herman, you're preaching up in Redwood City. That's cool. I'm preaching live there. But the preaching experience, we pipe my message in. It is a personalized experience there, and the community is the bomb. So uh, make some noise if you're in San Jose. Praise be to God. All right. Uh, and a big shout out to the rest of you who are joining us from across the country and around the world. Thank you. Most of you are watching us on Sunday. I am so super psyched that you are engaging with us today. This is a great message that I want to teach today. At least it's, it's, it's close and dear to my heart. And uh, some of you may be watching at a different time. Whatever time, wherever you are watching us from, this is a God-ordained moment for you. So, God bless this teaching in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, I want to talk about this basic subject, what's in your hand. Something's been bubbling in my heart for a while. Uh, and we're going to focus today on the person of Moses in a passage of Scripture that is among some of my favorite passages of Scripture. So, Exodus chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Uh, Moses has already had an encounter with God, speaks to him out of the burning bush, calls him to go liberate the people out of Egypt. Uh, and then here's where the passage begins. It says uh, uh, in verse two, it says, then the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord said to him. So Moses threw the staff and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back. The Lord told him, reach out and grab it, its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it. It turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hands. There's the reading. All right. So as you gather, Moses is the focus today. Many of you may know that Moses was born both into poverty and oppression. He was born uh, a young Jewish person at a time when uh, uh, Pharaoh had issued a decree to kill all of the young uh, Jewish babies. But vis-a-vis -vis God's providence, ultimately Pharaoh's daughter will find Moses floating to her on the river. She will adopt him into the family of Pharaoh. He will grow up in wealth and power and privilege, surrounded by royalty. And yet he would always know that he was Jewish. One of the reasons he would know he was Jewish is because the woman who, who nursed him and took care of him ended up being his birth mom. And so I would imagine that as he grew up, that was also a dream developing in him that one day to be a part of the liberation of his people. The scripture tells us that on occasion he saw an Egyptian brutalizing one of the Hebrew slaves. And so he ended up killing the Egyptian, burying him in the sand. A few days later, he discovered that it was exposed, that he had in fact done that. And all of the wealth and power and prestige that he had, he lost it in a single moment. 
he ultimately would leave Egypt as a fugitive and a murderer and would end up 40 years later at the age of 80 in the Sinai Desert with a radically different life. We find Moses in this text perhaps thinking that he is in retirement. He's 80 years old. For those of you who are 70, 80, 90 years old, lean in, lean in. God's got a dream for you. Come on now, he's still got an assignment. He's 80 years old. He figures that, um, that he's messed up really bad and that he's missed his opportunity to ever experience the coming to life of that dream. And then all of a sudden, he, God speaks to him out of this burning bush. And suddenly the dream that he thought was gone had materialized once again. Ultimately, here's what God says to him. He says, uh, beginning in, you know, in verse 9, he says, Listen, I've heard the cries of my people. I've seen their suffering by reason of their taskmasters. And then here comes verse 10. So now go, you, Moses, me, yes, you. At 80 years old, yes, you. I've got an assignment, and, and, and that dream is coming full circle. I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of slavery, out of bondage, out of Egypt. You. <laughs> where's my army? I don't, don't worry about that. You just go. Where, where, where's the, all of the money? Egypt is the most powerful country in the world. Don't worry about it. If God be for you, who can be against you? And suddenly he discovers that the dream that he thought had died, those emeralds were still there. And here it is. God is bringing it back to life yet again. And the scripture says in verse 1 that Moses protested. He says, look, God, you've got the wrong one. Listen. Man, if I show up there again, the last they heard of me 40 years ago, I was a fugitive. I was a loser. Come on now. I, 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 I turned, I, I, was, I was an expression of despondency and despair. They won't believe me. They won't even listen to me. Oh, well, I, I don't even think that will ever happen. What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? And so then the Lord asked what seems to be a very mundane question. What is that that's in your hand? Moses says, it's a shepherd's staff. The literal translation, uh, some might translate that, it's a rod. Uh, uh, an even greater, more literal translation, you can translate it, it's a stick. Can somebody say stick? It's a stick. What's in your hands, Moses? It's a stick. You know, the other day I was speaking of dreams. The other day, I went across the street to the Starbucks across from our San Jose campus. Also, our offices are located there. I've gotten to know all of the baristas and people who work there. And we just I know them, and they're just a great group of young people. One of the young ladies that worked there, I knew that she was supposed to be graduating. I said, listen, you're graduating this semester. She says, no, I graduated in December. I said, what? And we celebrated. I was so super excited. I said, so what are you going to do? She said, I don't know. I said, what do you mean you don't know? She says, I don't know. I said, well, what's your dream? She said, I don't have a dream. I was shocked. I said, what, you just graduated? You don't have a dream? She says, listen, every time I dream, life kicks the living out of my dream. I, I, I just have given up. on." I said, listen, you can't give up on dreaming. 
You can't stop. Those of you who are 80, 90, 70, 80 years old, I'm telling you this, you can't give up on dreaming. If you're 18, 20, 34, she was probably in her mid-20s, you can't give up on dreaming. And I said to her, listen, 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 here's what I want you to do tonight. Before you go to bed, I want you to spend some time. I want you to talk to God. I don't know whether she's a person of faith or not, but she didn't push back on this. I said, I want you to talk to God, and I want you to say, God, I want you to ignite your dream for me in my life. And I said, here's one of the things that we learn as we do life with God, that life's setbacks are utilized by God to set us up. Come on now. To set us up for his purpose, to set us up for his dream, fulfillment. The, the setback, Moses was set back 40 years, and yet that 40 years was a setup for his development and his preparation to do the improbable, the unimaginable, the unexpected. Somebody's listening to me. God has said, come on now. Your setback is a setup if you'll do life with me. Don't let go of dreaming. And so... Part of the question that comes to us is what's in your hand is a challenge from heaven that we might dare examine the dreams that are in our lives. So the first point that I want to drive home here is this question, what's in your hand, simply is about recognizing what are those things that God has placed in your hands. It's a range of things, looking at them, responsibilities, relationships, responsibilities, resources, gifts, talents, influence, what's in your grip, what's in your sphere of influence, what's under your appropriate control, uh, what's in your hands. These are slices of life, including your dreams. When is the last time you've evaluated and prioritized what you are focused on? What's in your hands? Let me suggest that Another thing that is kind of a larger version of relationships and responsibilities and those resources and the things that are listed is our life experiences. Not just the good, but also the challenging and the bad. You see that stick that was in Moses' hand, it represented, it, 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 it represented in so many ways his life. It was the, it was the stick of a shepherd. It, it represented the last 40 years of being a shepherd, a, a no-name shepherd in the wilderness. Come on, on the backside of a Sinai valley. It, it represented Moses' daily priorities the, 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 as he took care of and shepherded and drove the the sheep. It, 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 it even represented, come on now, the shift from what he thought was a dead dream into a new life of contentment, just kind of waiting, if you will, until his life was over. It, it represented his experience. Life experience. I want to suggest to you that part of what God is inviting us to do as we transition into a new spring and summer is to evaluate the totality of our life's experiences. How are we stewarding them? It's in our hands. Earlier this week, I was so proud, and our entire church was super proud because one of the, our young people, uh, Sydney Vaughn, who is a member of our NBCC community, she's 17 years old. She was interviewed on the Kelly Clarkson talk show. We were so excited. And the reason why she was interviewed is because she is, at 17 years old, she's made some extraordinary accomplishments, life-changing accomplishments. Among them is, for example, her and a classmate designed and developed a program 
that focused on providing health services and um, other resources to the unhoused community in their local residence. Later, that program evolved into what is now a nonprofit that she has founded that will continue to provide uh, warm meal and health care services to the people of unhoused communities, reminding them that they are precious and love just like everyone else. And we see them. So proud of the work that she's doing. On top of that, she's been accepted into a unique program at Brown's, Brown University. It's an eight-year program. Uh, only about 1% of the applicants were accepted. That uh, Her acceptance means that not only have they said yes to her as an undergraduate student, but she is also, at the same time, accepted into their medical school. So she's got eight years uh, from now all the way through to the completion of medical school. Isn't that amazing? 17 years old. When Kelly Clarkson asked her, what's your dream? At 17. She says what she wants to do is to become a, a pediatric heart surgeon. Wow. Now, the point that I want to make, in addition to celebrating her, because she's the Bob, and I'm so happy, and she's a Jesus follower, serving, uh, uh, helping to disciple young kids here at, uh, as a part of our NBCC community, so forth and so on. I love this. She's a young woman of faith. But I want to point out that she got to that dream, not simply because of the positive experiences in her life, you know, great parents, the resources that uh, allowed her to have wonderful opportunity, the extraordinary investment that she has made in her own studies and personal development, the positive experience. Yeah, they're a huge part of it. But she has become who she is, a heart of empathy and compassion, a dream of becoming a pediatric surgeon because of some of the tough experiences of her life, too. She's got a younger brother, LaSalle. He lights up the room when he walks in to any room, a special young man. He's 18 months younger than she is. Uh, he was born with a set of special needs. He is hearing, seeing, uh, and speech impaired. And the first two or three months of his life, within the first two or three months, he had to have major heart surgery. Can you imagine this a small baby, three months old? And she says she remembers how the doctors and the nurses and social workers took care of her and her family, even as they took care of her little brother. But what she didn't talk about, what I'm also sure that she remembered is that the, 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 the time of stress and anxiety and fear and tears and concerns. I'm sure she remembered that as well. And all of that has worked together to help put her on a trajectory of becoming an open heart surgeon for young people. Do you see the point I'm making? The point I'm making is that so often we... We, we, we turn away from the poor and the tough and the painful experiences. We, 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 we leave them in a place of, of, of the pity party, right? And we turn to the wonderful and great things. But, 
But the way God works in our life is that he's a redeeming God and he has a way of taking the broken, hard, painful places in our lives and working together with the good stuff in our lives. The scripture says all things work together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And so when we think about the question, what is it that is in my hand? What is it that I'm invited to steward? As I think about fresh dreams in this season of my life, my resources and my relationships, what, I, 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 I'm challenged to examine the totality of my experience and to see how they position me to be used by God in a fresh season. So here's my challenge for you. When I say recognize what's in your hands, what I'm really talking about is for all of us, we need to assess. Here's it is. Assess my priorities. Evaluate my life experiences and examine my dreams. What's in your hand? What's in your hand? The second point that comes to mind as I, as I hear this question revibrating. What's in your hand? What's in your hand? What's in your grasp? What's under your influence? The second point is that we need to do a little work as we transition into the spring and into the summer of clarifying what's in my hand that should not be in my hand. What's in my hand that should not be in my hand? And in this context, I'm talking about distractions and dysfunctions. What are the things that are in my hand that are, are, are distracting me from, away from what I ought to be focused on, what I ought to be spending my resources and time on? What's, what this, what, what's in my hand that is driving dysfunction in my life so much so that it is undermining my ability to move in a direction, to dream the dreams that God has called me to dream? Can somebody say distractions? You know, the other day I was thinking through, a, a looking at some f- fresh data. I was shocked. And I'm in this pool of people I'm talking about. Uh, maybe not to the furthest extreme, but I, I love social media. And here's what I, here's what I discovered. They said, uh, if you are, what is it, f- uh, from 15 to 22, uh, 15 to 24, young people, 15 to 24, spend about, on average, five hours and 49 minutes on social media. Adults between the age of 24 and 55 spend, on average, on the high end, four to five hours on social media, and on the low end, two hours and 30 minutes on social media. Check this out per day. Now, just check this out. What's in your hand? What's distracting you? Listen to this. There's only 24 hours in a day. Let's assume you're going to sleep eight. That's going to leave 16 hours. Let's assume you're going to work eight. That's going to leave eight hours. If you spend five hours, if I spend five hours, if we spend five, I have five of those eight hours on and engaging with social media, that only leaves three hours to eat, three hours to hang out with friends, to, to engage with loved ones, to do some work on developing our minds, to do exercise, only three hours a day. Is it possible that social media, as great as it is, I love it. Come on now. I've got 5,000 plus friends. That's what, that's what my page says, y'all. <laughs> but y'all know I ain't got no 5,000 friends. <laughs> but I want y'all to stay connected because I want y'all to read what I write. But I'm just saying, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not getting it twisted. I know I ain't got no 5,000 friends. 
As good as social media is, here's the point. We need to control it and not allow it to control us. Time is a precious, irreplaceable commodity. And so I suggest to you, which is a thing that I'm doing in my own life, man, listen, put a timer on. Put an alarm on. You're going to be on social media for 30 minutes, 45, whatever. Put a timer on. Enjoy the experience and then pump up the experience and engage life in ways that moves towards the fulfillment of your greatest dreams. Engaging with the relationships that are most important to you and in your life. Here's another statistic that I heard that I thought was just really remarkable. Check this out. They say all of us, on average here in America, that we check our mobile devices 159 times per day. Did you hear that statistic? 159 times per day. That means 150, that's average, y'all. 159 times per day, our mobile devices are going off, disrupting, interrupting, interrupting conversation, disrupting meals, interrupting relationships, distracting us. Listen, we need to learn to put our mobile devices, check it out, on timeout. When, when I go to the dinner table in the evening and I say the same with our kids, look, I leave my mobile device in the bedroom. For that next hour, that hour, hour, 15 minutes, I'm engaging with family. It's not being disrupted or interrupted by messages and alarms and tweets. All that stuff can wait. You know, we ought to find times throughout the day where we turn off that mobile device so that at the end of the day, we're controlling it. It's not controlling us. Distractions. Dysfunctions. When we talk about dysfunctions, what's in your hands, right? We've talked about uh, these are some things that distract us. When we talk about dysfunctions, we're talking about things that we're trying to control that we ought not to be controlled, or we're, we're talking about things that are controlling us or people that are controlling us that ought not to be controlling us. It leads me to another interesting example. In this case, it makes me think about music. And, um, you know, I met my wife in 1985. That is the same year, that is the same year that Whitney Houston came out with her song, uh, Saving All My Love for You. And, and, And I must admit, it was one of my favorite songs, because before I met Rhonda, I was singing this song, and and I loved the melody, and, and whenever I see her do the video and she's singing the song, I thought she was singing to me. She's about the same age. <laughs> and then, you know, I meet Rhonda, come on down. We fall head over heels in love. I told you 11 months later, we're married. So I'm hearing her singing the song. I'm like, man, that's the song, man. I'm, I'm imagining that's what Rhonda's singing in the shower where she's thinking about me, come on down, getting dressed to come go out to meet me later on that day, right, right, right? And it was 10 years. It would be 10 years. I'm just caught up in the melody thinking it. it would be 10 years, somewhere in the next 10 years, before I actually listened to all the words to the lyrics. And when I listened to the lyrics, my goodness, check it out. I discovered that one of my favorite songs was a scandalous song. Here's the lyrics. She says, a few stolen moments is all that we share. 
You've got your family, and they need you there. Though I tried to resist being last on your list, but no other man's going to do. So I'm saving all my love for you. Once I discovered the scandal in those lyrics, I don't want, I didn't want Ron to sing that song. <laughs> Here's the lesson, young people. Engage me. Here's the lesson, young people. Watch it. Monitor the melodies that we listen to and evaluate the message of the lyrics. Because the melody entices us. Come on now. The message sometimes entraps us. Yeah. We live in a world where we're canceling people left and right because of different reasons we disagree with them. Perhaps long before we start canceling people, we ought to cancel out some songs and cancel out some movies. There, there are some movies I watch where I fast forward through some of the scenes, because I, 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 not because I'm trying to be super spiritual, spiritual, but because I know I believe what the Word declares. So a man think of that, so that person is. And, and, and science reinforces it, that what I focus on repeatedly and what you focus on repeatedly has a way of desensitizing you towards things that you don't need to be desensitized towards. And one of the ways, watch this, that I protect my marriage is I protect my imagination because here's the deal. Come on now. When I have and when you have the wrong things in your hands, it leads to your having the wrong things in your head. Somebody say amen. <laughs> amen. So point number three. You get it? Point number one, recognize what God has given us charge, what's in our hands. Point number two, clarify what's in my hand that really should not be there. Distractions and dysfunctions and begin to redesign how I engage life as we move towards the summer. And point number three, determine what's not in my hand that ought to be in my hand. The fact of the matter is that Moses had the right thing in his hand. That staff represented his life. It represented his daily priorities. He was focused on exactly what he was supposed to be focused on until, can somebody shout until, until verse 10 happens. Let's, let's revisit uh, 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 verse 10 again. It says, now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. All right. At that very moment, the focus of Moses' life, God said to him, it changes. You're no longer, let's go back to that, let's go back to that point. So to determine what's not in my hand that ought to be, that means that I need to think about what's my focus. I need to think about what's my time, and I need to think about my resources. And, and where is the bulk of those things pointed towards. And the moment Moses gets the call to leave the Sinai desert and begin to go to Egypt and begin to focus on the liberating work of his people, his priority changed. The, how he used his resources had to change. His focus had to change. And here's the challenge for so many of us. We're, we're, we're saying, listen, I want that promotion. But your, your focus and your resources and your, and your time is spent in ways that does not help you get the promotion. 
If you want the promotion, you've got to listen to more podcasts. You've got to read some books. You've got to work on developing your skills. You've got to shift your focus, time, and resources. There's somebody else listening to me says, look, I want to improve my health. Okay, well, well how is your focus, resources, and time being reshaped in terms of how, many t- how, how long you're exercising? What's your new eating plan? Come on. Somebody says, I want to stop attracting all the wrong people to be my friend and fall in love with. Well, well, you've got to change. Come on now. The focus of your criteria. What are you looking for? We attract often what we're looking for. So you get the point, right? Determine what's not in my hand that ought to be in my hand. Should it be a podcast as opposed to TikTok? (laughs) What's not in my hand that ought to be in my hand? Should it be a different plan for eating than the hamburger and fries that I'm dealing with? Come on now. (laughs) What what ought to be in my hand that's that's not in my hand? Should it be a stopwatch as as three times a week I'm working on my exercise? Come on. You see the point. You see the point. Then, as we bring this to a conclusion, God says, I need you to change your focus. I need you to change your resources. I need you to change how you use your time. I need you to go to Egypt. I need you to begin to be a part of the liberating work of your people. Moses, the text says, protested again. He says, basically, he says, God, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. He says, what if they won't believe me or listen to me? I love this passage we talked about a few moments ago. What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? You know what Moses is saying. He says, the last time they saw me, they saw the back of a fugitive running away. They saw someone who used to be surrounded by royalty and luxury. Come on, I haven't become a criminal Uh, If I go back, come on now, if anybody remember me, how do I convince them that I've had a divine encounter? How do I persuade them that there is a shift that has happened in my eternal purpose? Uh, how How do I get them to believe that they can now depend on what I say? Uh, Come on, that they can trust what I do and that they will follow my lead. How do I persuade them? How do I convince them? And God says, well, what's in your hand? Moses says, well, it's a stick, a stick that represents my current priorities, stick that represents the last 40 years of my life, a, a, a stick, come on now, that, 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 that represents uh, my contentment with a dream that I thought has long since died. It's, it's a stick, it's a stick that represents me. It's, 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 it's my stick. Verse 3, God says, throw it down on the ground. The Lord told him, take your life and release it, Moses. Moses threw it down. And suddenly, to his surprise, it turned into a snake. And Moses jumped back. Oh, this is where the text gets rich, y'all. This is, this is where if I, if I was in my home church, I'd say I'd just preach a little bit right here. Come on now. When, 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 when Moses took that thing that represented its life and threw it down, God began to transform it. That which had no life had life. That which was powerless suddenly became powerful. God transforms it. And what is, is mysteriously 
unsaid in those brief moments is that there is a transition that takes place. Come on now, that Moses throws down his life, what belongs to him. But then comes the verse four. It says, then the Lord told him, now reach out and grab that thing by the tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it and it turned back into a stick, y'all. A shepherd, shepherd stick in his hand. But what you and I may have missed is in that brief moment, there was a transition of ownership. You see, when you throw your life down and say, it's my life, but God, I'm going to, at your word, I'm going to throw it down. Uh, that's when God can take charge of it. And when you shift the ownership from you to God, come on now, that's when the power of God can take what is dead, dead dreams, and come on now, dead hopes, uh, uh, and, and begin to bring it back to life again. Uh, uh, and, and it's scary when you release your life to God. You have to step back, but, but, but then just follow his lead, y'all. And when he says, pick it back up again, y'all, did you see the transition in leadership? Come on. In ownership, excuse me, Moses threw down his stick, but he picked up God's rod of authority. Moses threw down that which symbolized his life, but when he picked it up again, it was a symbol of God's power. Moses threw down that which was the central of his daily, which was a centerpiece in his daily journey. He leaned on that stick. Come on now. But when he picked it back up, it became a central part of God's plan for his life. Moses threw down, check it out, with his dream, but what he picked back up was God's vision. Somebody shout ownership. Ownership. Oh my. Paul writes it this way. He says, don't you realize that your body, he's talking to Jesus followers now, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and who's given to you by God. He says, don't you realize that the ownership has shifted, that the papers on you have changed? He says, don't you see that you no longer belong to yourself? For God brought you with a high price. He's talking about his son Jesus who shed his life and his blood on Calvary's cross to redeem you, to, to transform me. Come on now, to save us, to bring life to the dead. Y'all ain't listening. Come on now. Woo! <laughs> and so you no longer belong to yourself. For somebody listening to me, the decision that you need to make right now is who owns your life, who owns your gifts, who owns your talents, who owns the responsibility, the kids that you're wrestling with. Well, well, this is time for you to give them up to God. The dreams that seem to be going wrong, this is time to give it up to God. Come on now, make a shift in your ownership. And here's what the Bible teaches us from Genesis to Revelations, that when we make a shift in ownership, common skills become exceptional gifts. Common sense becomes profound wisdom. Common experiences, everyday experiences become extraordinary events. Come on, that's what we witness in Moses' life as he moves from the desert back to Egypt, liberating, come on now, over a million people. Listen, just walk through the text with me for a little bit. A common shepherd boy called David becomes an uncommon world-changing king. Come on. An everyday orphan girl called Esther becomes an extraordinary 
Come on, nation-building, liberating queen. Uh, 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 how might we say uh, uh, a regular, everyday fisherman called Peter becomes a world-changing preacher. Y'all, I'm talking about when you change ownership of your life. An invisible, poverty-stricken teenage girl with no lineage becomes the mother of the Savior of the world. That's Mary, y'all. She will ultimately declare as ownership shifts, y'all. Listen, that, that, that from now on, generations shall call this little girl blessed. Whew. Blessed. Mm, mm, mm. So let me just summarize your homework as you get ready to leave. Can you recognize what it is that God has put in your hands? Can you, are you committed to clarifying What's in your hand that ought not to be because what's in your hand that shouldn't be affects, if it shouldn't be in your hand, it puts some stuff in your head that shouldn't be. Are you ready to do the work of determining what's not in your hand that ought to be in your hand? And then the most decisive question of all, who owns you? Who owns your gifts, your time, your talent? And whoever owns you that's who you serve. Oh, I invite you to let the one who gave his life for you own you. Because when he has your life in the grip of his hands, tragedy can speak. But because he owns you, it can't stop you. Death will come because what he owns you, it can't stop you. Oh, y'all ain't listening. Good God Almighty. Trust him with your all and watch him as he transforms what you have into what you need. Amen, amen, and amen.